Welcome to the Pulse of the Prairies podcast brought to you by Saskatchewan Pulse Growers. Here we share information about farm practices, pulse markets, research outcomes, market development efforts, and much more. My name is Carl Potts, Executive Director of SPG. Today, it's my pleasure to chat with Marlena Borsch, owner and managing partner with Mercantile Consulting Venture. Marlena is going to share some of her insights on what may be in store for us for pulse markets as we head towards spring. Thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us today, Marlena. My pleasure. Nice to see you. All right. Well, um, as as we get going, let's start with some uh, some general discussion. Perhaps, uh, what are what are some of the markets? Uh, you know, the key factors in the market, general factors that are impacting pulse markets today, Marlena. What are you seeing as those general uh, general factors? Well, we are post Christmas now, and in general, we spend the fall trying to refine um, various production levels in various countries, and we now know what happened in Australia, more or less. And so this is the time when we really focus on the demand side in general. And um, we can say that we had on the lentils um, very good November exports still, um, but we were a little bit disappointed on export levels on peas, for example. So that gave me at least a little bit of a pause and there was really a reduction in what we normally ship to China because China is the, by far the single biggest buyer. And, and we'll probably talk about that a little bit um, when we could delve into the piece more. So when you look at the demand side, it's really Canadian prices relative to our competitors' prices that are very, very important. And again, you know, there we can um, talk about uh, Australian lentil offers, for example. Um, we think about foreign exchange rates. And in all our markets, I think this year, that's a factor that really makes us um, think about demand levels. And to just give you an example, um, we sell lentils and peas, chickpeas into the Middle East, and it's particularly grave there. Currencies ha- uh, have been very, very weak relative to the US dollar, and that makes the import prices expensive. And we do know that on a relative level, if you look back to the last five and 10 years, prices have increased quite a bit. So these are the base prices expressed in US dollars. And then there's an additional level of expense, so to speak, when you convert it into the local currencies. And this is what the buyers eventually have to come up with. And I'm in general a little bit concerned about that. Having said that, I'm a big believer that basic food items, and that certainly includes pulse crops, um, will have to be bought. But it affects um, how people forward buy and how they think about the market, how careful about the market. And when you talk about increases in, in domestic price levels of anywhere from 50 to 70 percent, depending on the countries, then you must also think, um, is it legitimate to still take the same demand levels that we have gotten used to? And is it legitimate to take a thing about increases in demand? It might very well be, but it's something that uh, lingers in our mind as a level of concern. So it's basically the ability of buyers to pay for products in general, um, you know, as we're concerned about the world economies and recessions and further inflation going forward. So I would say these these are um, really some of the key factors as we think about the spring, uh, how much we should seed and uh, about next year's demand levels, you know, when we are, because we are starting to kind of pencil these into next year's S&D as well. Yeah, so as you look forward, Marlena, to uh 
you know, t- the 2023 season, based on what you see today, where do you think we'll see acreage shifts in, in Canada for, for the upcoming growing season? You know, thinking about wheat, thinking about canola, you know, pulses, you know, and other crops, farmers have a lot of options. What are you expecting, um, you know, based on what you see today in terms of acreage shifts for 2023? Well, the most forceful of Price signals are coming from canola. And the reason there is that oil, vegetable oil values in the world are very, very high. Canola is an oil crop that has unusually high oil levels, and so that really supports canola. So bits are very aggressive. We also have um, increased um, biofuel capacities looming and some of these things. At the same token, though, you know, speaking to growers, um, agronomists and so on, I think it's difficult to increase canola acres further simply for rotational issues. We have, um, you know, some disease issues there as well. So while the price signal is very strong, I think acreage increases will be modest. In fact, you know, I think it might be more or less even with slight increases. Um, But we also have fairly strong signals uh, for next year by wheat. And what's different with wheat this year over the last number of years is that exports have actually been very good. And so farmers always notice the flow of things. And um, with strong wheat exports, both for spring wheat and also for durum wheat in the southern areas in the Palliser Triangle, I think wheat, um, you know, is going to be posing fairly strong competition. Then when I look at price levels for peas and lentils, I'm a little bit afraid that um, it's difficult for exporters to put aggressive prices forward because it's difficult to forward sell for some of the reasons we mentioned earlier. And so when I do, of course, it varies by region and um, will be different uh, for various farms. But when I look at cost of production versus the returns with some of the price indications we have so far, and people have been conservative with giving uh, prices on, on forward prices on special crops. I'm afraid that we will losing will be losing a little bit of acreage both on peas and lentils. Um, within the lentils, I think maybe we increase greens a bit and lose more reds. Uh, but I'm I'm afraid that overall um, we'll have a little bit of a reduction there as well. So again, you know, as I said, with the major grains, it's sometimes easier um, to post forward prices. You have futures markets and so on. Um, it is not so on pulses, but you know, we want to have um, strong production in order to maintain our export markets. And if you take away, say, 5% uh, each on lentils or peas, potentially, I think our um, supply levels obviously will, uh, you know, fall a little bit. And it might be difficult to maintain some of these important market shares. Yeah, that's certainly what what we've been sort of hearing and sensing from growers as well. Um, you know that that in the upcoming season it'll be a bit of a struggle for peas and lentils to maintain you know even the acreage that they have. You know primarily due to strong uh, prices and sh- strong options. You know for some of those other crops like you mentioned, but uh, but also uh, you know disease issues and and other things that are uh, that are facing uh, pulse producers you know, as well. So we'll shift gears a little bit and. Uh, and, and talk uh, about you know about the pulse crops sort of individually by by groups and I wanted to start off uh, with with lentils so you know on 
on in the fall of 2022, we were hearing quite a bit about the potential for a large Australian lentil crop. Then parts of Australia received significant rainfall, you know, prior to harvest. So, what's your sense on where you know where this has landed in terms of the size and the and the quality of the the Australian crop? Because it, it likely has a significant impact, uh, you know, overall on, on on direction of red lentil markets in particular. Well, our Australian friends have enjoyed uh, three consecutive years of, of good rainfall, which in general equates to very good crops, and lentils are no exception. And the original expectation for this crop as we went through their growing season kept growing, and people were expecting 1.1 to 1.15 million tons of lentils. The general consensus is that the rains just prior and during harvest reduced the crop up to 25%. I think that's a little bit high. Um, I would say that we are somewhere between 700 and 800,000 tons, which is still a very large crop. But we have also produced lower grades of lentils. And a lot of people said, well, you know, that will kind of um, keep our uh, stand in the um, overseas market very, very strong. And I tend to think a little bit differently about that in that um, having lower grades also allows them, so to speak, to offer um, cheaper prices overseas. And I'm specifically thinking about India um, because they will, they know how to and they will use the lower grades. In fact, they welcome them because of the price reduction relative, um, you know, to the uh, number two basis levels. Uh, price base price levels and so it's exactly what has happened and Australian prices roughly are about US dollars 50 per ton cheaper right now into India which means that they will be preferring to buy aside from some of the Canadian lentils certainly Australian uh, red lentils as well so I you, you know while the um, rain events reduced the crop. It also automatically, because of the quality reductions, uh, created some lower grades. And I see that as somewhat of a negative development with respect to prices, because we had a fairly uniformly decent crop. Most of the crop is, is a number two or number two or better as, as we're selling to them. And um, so I think in, in, in an odd way, it actually allows that lower grade more easily into their market. So, you know, if you want to talk about the crop size, as I said, I think it's uh, 700 to 800,000 tons. And that seems to be roughly correct with, um, you know, what we hear from Australia. Um, but it also, um, the events also allow the lower grades and um, particularly into countries like India, Bangladesh, Pakistan. To, uh, to me, that's a negative development for Canada. Yeah. Are there other outside of the uh, the Australian production situation? Are there other things that you're uh, you're you're watching currently, in especially on the red lentil market side of things? Um, well, the shipments have been very very strong and continue to be strong. The one thing I'm watching from Australia is because all crops have been quite large. They have a very very good wheat crop. Uh, originally, it was expected that the um, volumes were down more because of the weather developments. The same for canola. They have something like 7.3 million tons to 7.7 canola. And what we're starting to see on the major grains is some problems um, in the ports with congestion. And so we'll have to keep an eye on that um, for the special crop, certainly, as well. The other thing maybe to mention um, with respect to Australia is that during COVID and the container problems that were prevalent all over the world, basically, they learned to ship bulk pulses. 
And to me, uh, that takes away one of our very fundamental advantages that we have had into the large volume markets like India, into Bangladesh, peace into China. Um, we have been very good and pioneering in shipping bulk pulses. And having other major exporters developing those same skills makes them more competitive. So that's uh, you know just an aside that came to mind. And um, as I said, while I'm watching if congestion levels will slow them down a little bit or not, they might well. In a longer, from a longer term point of view, um, they have learned some additional skills over the last two years uh, during the pandemic that makes them actually more competitive into the large volume markets. So switching over to green lentils, maybe, what factors have been influencing the market for, for green lentils lately? Well, green lentils are a little bit different because our only major competition is the United States. And, um, you know, their crop was kind of mediocre. Um, basically, the market is tight and will remain tight, in my opinion. And you see that in prices, prices have been fairly stable. The ever so slightly weaker this week. Um, but I think that's partly a, a seasonality issue because um, we do normally on the green lentil side strong shipments uh, after harvest because people would like the fresh color of the green lentils. And then they usually fill their stores, um, you know, to bridge Christmas and so on. And then towards Easter, Feb March, um, we tend to have the second tranche of shipments, and I expect that to happen this year as well. The balance sheet tells us it will remain tight, so I don't really foresee a lot of changes there. And I wouldn't be too nervous at the moment with a slight weakening, um, other than that if all commodities were to weaken, we, we generally tend to follow foot a little bit. Um, but the S&D is solid um, for green lentils, and um, I don't see any reason why there should be major um, drops in prices on the green lentil side. So what's your outlook for a Canadian lentil seeded area for, for 2023? You mentioned uh, you know, likely the lower lentil area overall. Do you see more of an impact on, on, on reds or greens or how do you expect that to shake out? Well, as I said earlier, I think um, particularly the price signals on the red lentil side at 30 cents so far for a new crop are a little bit disadvantageous relative to wheat and canola, for example. So, you know, it will be very hard to increase acres. Um, and I think that we'll see somewhat of a reduction on the red lentil side. Movement uh, at the moment is a little bit sluggish. Uh, it was very good, actually, in November and into Christmas. We did, I think it was something like 60,000 ton bulk shipments over the Christmas period. So that really helped. But right now it seems to slacken off a bit and prices have fallen, uh, weakened a bit on the red lentil side. And now we are in the planning period um, for lentils. And so, um, you know, that doesn't bode well in terms of overall competitiveness of lentils uh, towards the others. Whereas on the green side, um, we haven't seen a lot of prices, 40 cents I saw um, for small greens, you know, that helps um, a little bit. The yields are a bit small, uh, a little bit smaller for greens than for reds, but uh, that's a substantial difference in price and uh, that should more or less maintain those acres for green lentils. Well, moving over, over to peas, China is obviously our largest market for, uh, for peas uh, you know, overall. So what have we been seeing lately in terms of demand for, for peas from China? Pea exports were actually kind of on schedule um, into the end of October. I think in October we shipped something like 325,000 tons and then September was um, 464.65. 
But when we got um, received um, finally the November export numbers for China, they were only at um, 49,000 tons. So that was a big reduction in exports to China. We compensated to some degree with exports into Bangladesh, which was very welcome because last year we didn't do anything to Bangladesh. Um, but I found it slightly worrisome on the Chinese side. Now, we were only expecting um, to do about a million and a half tons to China this year in our um, export projections. And I think we'll probably remain close to that. But the big change factor that's looming in, in the room, obviously, is will there be peace used on the feeding side? And what we look at is, is um, what is the protein value of peas relative to that from soybeans. And there we calculate very favorably. Um, but it's a smaller crop. And unless you're really sourcing hard, people don't tend to switch into the smaller crops. And given the COVID developments in China, general um, uh, GDP growth is no longer as strong as it used to be. Um, so there's some concern, I think, on my side, if China really needs the piece, I think they work price-wise, frankly. Um, but it's a question of some of the bigger feed manufacturers wanting to bother with the smaller volumes. So that verdict, to me, is out there a little bit because China does, in general, react to price signals. And I think, um, you know, peas should... Um, work into the feed rations, particularly as oilseeds um, stay strong. And we have seen an increase in, in oilseed values over the last while, particularly soybeans. Um, so the verdict is out there on the feed side. Without the feed side, um, I don't think we can create a lot of momentum by demand to really increase prices. So that's, you know, the elephant in the room. And I'm not sure you can really answer that other than to observe, you know, will some of the feed manufacturers react um, to the price signals or not? Um, so that's the big worry there. The longer term worry is really Russia and China. And so you know, what we're watching there is some of the geopolitical changes in the world. And obviously, the invasion of Ukraine by Russia has changed some of the political alliances. And it seems that China is siding, maybe, but certainly not criticizing Russia um, too strongly. They have been enjoying cheaper oil imports from Russia, um, cheaper uh, commodity imports from Russia um, for their um, lack of criticism. So, you know, what will happen to peace? from Russia into China because uh, Russia is the, the world's second largest and last actually the largest producer of peas in the world. A lot of the peas are used domestically for feed, but they also export. And we have seen that into Bangladesh, um, there have been competition there. Um, and um, so far, um, there was no fighter protocol for peas from Russia into China. Um, we have been told that there is a protocol. It hasn't really been publicized, um, but several months ago, they, they seem to have had an agreement on that. I'm not sure if there have been peace flowing actually into China. I doubt it so far, but now that protocol exists. I would say that our ability to ship bulk peace from the West Coast into China is hard to compete with, um, but there are rail links and um, into the wrong end of China, but nevertheless, there are rail links. And in the long run, I think um, we'll probably see some Russian peace move into China as well. So that's something we'll have to watch. And that's um, you know where Canada um, has to also work on efficiencies here in order to stay competitive into some of these destinations. So longer term, I think, Russia is a threat into China as well. 
Um, so far, we probably have a market share of 95 to 97 percent. They have been buying a few um, uh, um, US peas and some Australian peas and so on over the last while, even some uh, very small volumes of French peas. Um, so we have enjoyed extraordinarily high market shares there because of our ability to ship out from the West Coast. Um, but we'll have to, to um, make sure that we stay prominent into that region as well. But for this year, again, you know, to me, um, will China be a major change factor? Will depend on, on their decision if they will use peace for feed or not. And the verdict there is out for me. Yeah, so sh short term, you know, wh whether or not feed demand uh, for peace uh, from China you know, will be there, and then in the medium and longer term, you know, what what sort of competition would uh, you know would Russia or other potential peace suppliers you know have for for China? I think it, it's an important uh, question because we are so reliant on China for for pea exports. You know, and and I think it just underscores the importance of you know the diversification strategy to help to try to build you know some demand and utilization in other markets as well. Um, certainly, want to continue to supply uh, China and, uh, and as much as we can there. But as we build demand, trying to you know trying to uh, you know build demand in 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 you know in other countries and other uses as well to help have a bit a bit of more of a, a diversified uh, base. We didn't touch on uh, on Greenpeace specifically, Marlene. So, you know, I just wondered if you had any thoughts about uh, about green peas as we head into 2023. Um, not specifically. I mean, two major regions that we ship into, and that's South America, where we need very good quality. We compete with the United States there, and I think we we probably have. Um, Probably we have about normal exports here to date. And then, of course, uh, there's, again, the Asian market, of which uh, China is a major part. And I think the green pea volumes they have taken have been fairly good. So, And, and we can see that, you know, green pea prices have had premiums again this year occasionally. And, and I think that will probably stay this way. Yeah. So will that mean that uh, that re expected reduction in pea acres will come more on, on the yellow sides that, than on greens, or are you expecting to see reductions in both? I haven't really broken it down that way, to be honest. Um, I would say it will mostly be on the yellow pea side, um, because uh, simply the bulk, the bits at elevators haven't been as aggressive, actually, uh, for the yellow side. So um, my bias would be that it would be more on the, on the um, yellow pea side. That's good. Well, I'll, I'll switch over to, to chat a little bit about chickpeas. So we've seen the Canadian ending stocks of chickpeas coming down over the past year or so after a period of, of quite uh, quite significant supplies for, for a few years. We've seen strengthening uh, Kabylie chickpea prices. So just wondering what your thoughts uh, are for, for outlook for chickpea seeded area for 2023 and what other factors are, are influencing the market. I think the biggest factor on the chickpeas is that we have seen um, very good exports. So year to date, I think we had about 75,000 tons, which is, um, you know, 176% of last year's performance. And, and um, growers have noticed that. So export performance has been very good, particularly because uh, production levels in other countries, namely um, Mexico, um, weren't, weren't as good as it anticipated. So I think the market will remain strong. Um, most of our exports go to the United States and uh, the hummus market certainly you know, has been very, very significant for us that will stay there. But we've also uh, shipped significantly more than normal uh, into Pakistan and then Middle Eastern market like Lebanon have been very good as well. 
And I think that will stay there. I think um, growers have noticed um, the improved flow. One of the problems we have is we have very few facilities that can actually handle chickpeas uh, efficiently and size them. So that problem, I think, stays <laughs> for now. But I think uh, uh, especially uh, when we think about the weather and soil moisture developments that are still um, difficult in southern Saskatchewan and southern uh, Alberta, chickpeas are certainly suited for that. So combined um, with a good export movement and certainly um, also uh, much improved prices, I think we could easily see chickpea acres up by 25% or so. So last year, if I remember correctly, we were at something like 95,000 acres, which um, you know, it's not very high, but I think we can see 120, 125,000 acres coming up. So um, this year's production was about 125, 128,000 tons. So that could easily go up to 160,000 tons. And uh, given the markets, it depends a little bit what's happening, um, you know, in some of the other production areas. But I think we should be able to accommodate that with export levels, you know, of around 160,000 tons as well. So it's um, given some of the agronomic considerations. I think it's a, it's a good crop to grow. Some of the new crop price signals are good. There were some 45 cent prices out there. Um, so, you know, it all, all kind of comes together uh, showing that the market uh, really desires a few more acres from us. And um, I, I don't think there should be a problem with the markets. I don't spend a lot of time on the chickpea markets. Um, mm -hmm. um, but when I look at overall production levels in the world um, and the use of chickpeas has a certain improved in some areas too. Um, I think it's um, particularly with the agronomics of them, it's a good crop to grow in the next year as well. Yeah, and we uh, we, we think it's important, uh, you know, from a crop rotation perspective and sustainability of, of rotations to have options like chickpeas and, and fab beans, you know, in, in the rotation, even though they're smaller acreage crops right now, we're hoping we can grow the, the footprint of production and provide a bit of um, you know, a bit, bit of options for growers of peas and lentils who are looking to to maybe have a little bit more time between lentil or, or pea crops in the rotation. So although it's smaller acreage, it is certainly important in, especially in the areas where chickpeas is well adapted. So maybe similarly, I just was wondering if you have any thoughts, uh, you know, around faba beans. Uh, we have seen some decline in faba bean acres over the, the past number of years as there's been strong competition from other crops and, um, you know, and, and we've had, uh, had drought too, which is, uh, has really impacted faba bean uh, yields is, as well. So just wondering if you have any, uh, any perspective on, on what you think might happen with faba bean acres uh, in Canada over, over, the next, uh, over the next year or so. I think you, you really hit the nail on the head already in that um, faba bean agronomics work quite well for a lot of growers, especially if you get a bit of rain and um, it, um, the dry conditions over the last couple of years have been hard on them. So, um, you know, that takes away a bit of the attractiveness, but a bigger detractor is the ability to market them. And, um, you know, if you grow varieties uh, that are suitable for feed and for the pet food market, it hasn't been too bad. Um, and I think that's clearly um, from a market point of view where we need to go. It's uh, more the feed varieties. Um, I question our ability to compete with European and um, Australian fava beans into the Middle East. I know we used to do that in the 80s and 90s, um, but there's different competition out in the world now. And then there's the question 
even on the demand side, um, will some of the fractioning facilities also include uh, fava beans, um, which would be very helpful because then you would be talking about a more consistent contracting program uh, for some of those acres. And uh, I think the verdict is out. I know there are people experimenting with that and working on it. So I think once we solidify some of that domestic demand on a larger level, I think we will automatically see fava bean acres coming up again. As it is, for this coming year, I don't see anybody being particularly aggressive about attracting fava bean acres and giving good prices on the major grains. As you said, it's, it will be hard to increase some of these small crops, which tend to come up you know, when there are difficulties in the major grains. So again, I think the markets need to be a little more solid for growers to feel comfortable. So while major grain prices are very good, I don't see that we will be making a lot of inroads into that commodity for now. But it certainly is an interesting crop. And, um, you know, as I said, if, if we can harness some of the fractioning side, that would be a game changer for them as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Okay, well, as we look to 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 wrap up here, uh, I just thought I would see you know what you think some of those factors that growers should be watching over the next few months as they they look to sell the remainder of their 2022 crop and and firm up their seeding plans for for 2023. Well, for the ongoing crop, I'm a big proponent on being at least three quarters sold or getting uh, towards that um, with prices that make. T- sense in terms of uh, return per acres. Uh, having said that, you know, we are in an environment where weather swings have been very violent across the world. So doubtlessly, we'll see um, some responses to seeding levels and uh, conditions coming up. So there is always some volatility that, um, you know, if you have covered most of your costs that you can maybe speculate on. Um, but other than that, um, you know, prices are not bad, other than I think trees are uh, a little bit on the low side um, given the markets but there's really not a lot of point on carrying a lot into the new crop you know as, as a cautioning uh, sign for the 22 crop on the 2023 crop well i think farmers will be doing return per acre calculations and doing some of the comparisons there and then decide within the crop rotations how that stacks up and um, you know decide accordingly as i said earlier i think peace uh, especially and and red lentils are a little bit on the low side in comparison to some of the major crops so that uh, concerns me a little bit you know having said that um, where you can do some profitable forward selling and that applies to all grains um, early on uh, to cover some of your production costs that's often a good idea Um, as i said that's not specifically on pulses but on all the major crops so really nothing highly unusual from last year as i said um, weather is volatile and uh, we have seen for several years going now uh, problem areas showing up in the world that uh, you know give selling opportunities and uh, you know as you monitor your own crop, I think farmers should keep that in mind. Right now, South America is very dry. It has been very warm in in Europe, um, so that's an area to watch. Uh, And it's also been very dry in North Africa, so, um, you know, that will affect their production levels. So, um, you know, besides watching your own crop, also keep an eye on how it uh, looks in terms of production and domestic production um, by some of our importers as well. 
Well, I think that's all the the time that we have uh, today for uh, for discussion, Marlene. I, I do want to thank you very much for your your time and, and sharing your expertise and, and insight on uh, you know on the markets uh, with us here today. So thank you for that. For more detailed information on Pulse Markets and Marlena's insight, read the latest Pulse Market Report under Market Reports, found on the SPG website under the Resources tab at saspulse.com. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss upcoming episodes. To stay up to date with SPG, you can subscribe to our mailing list on our website. We send regular updates, keeping you informed on global markets, new technologies, and trends in Pulse production. Thank you for tuning in to the Pulse of the Prairies podcast.